0: Well, we're going to uh, continue um, in the series I started a few weeks ago, a series called Choose Life, and I'm going to give just a quick little recap um, for some of you that haven't been with us, just to know kind of where we're, where we're coming from, what the foundation of all of this is, uh, really comes out of two places, one in Deuteronomy, one in John. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, uh, specifically verse 19 and 20. It says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey His voice, and that you may cling to Him, for He is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. And then John 10, verse 10, The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly, the words of Jesus. And that really is the foundation, is what does it mean for us to choose life? And I, I started out talking about, specifically in the New Testament, there are three Greek words that are used for the word life. The first one is bios, which we talked about, is where we get the word biology. It's, it's this, every, it, it just means physical life. So everything on this planet that has life has bios. Doesn't matter if it's an ant, if it's a plant, or it's a human being. Everything that has physical existence has bios. But the second word is suke, and suke is where we get the word psychology. It's it's the ability to reason, to rationalize, to make conscious decisions. So nothing on this on this created world that God made except mankind has suke. But every human being on the planet, has Suke, has the ability to think, to reason, to be aware of their existence. But the third one that Jesus is talking about here in John 10.10 is the word zoe. If you've been to our house, you've met Zoe. But uh, that's our little dog. But, But when Jesus was talking about zoe, every time in the New Testament, it's translated eternal life. It's talking about the life that we can only have through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. And so this is the life that we as believers have received. So Jesus says, I've come to give you zoe and to give you zoe abundantly. That's where we're called to live. And so we've been talking about that. What does that mean for us to know what it means to live in that life, to choose that life? When God's saying, I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, and and then God goes on to say, If you're not sure what you should pick, please choose life. And he goes on to say, for you and your descendants. See, it's important that we understand as believers, this is true of everybody, but as believers we need to understand this, that what we do does not only affect us, it affects everybody that comes after us. It says in the Old Testament that the curses of the Father will be upon them, for, I think it's five generations. But it says that the blessings of the fathers will be upon them for thousands of generations. But understand that when we choose certain things that are apart from God's best, it doesn't just affect us. That's the biggest lie that our culture tries to tell us. Oh, it's my life and I can do what I want. and What I do doesn't affect anyone else. That's just so not true. You tell, you tell someone who's, whose dad was an alcoholic that it didn't affect anybody else in the family. You tell someone who had a, a, an affair with a man or a woman, depending on if it was a, the husband or the wife, that that didn't affect anyone else. Any decision you make, anyone, somebody's kid, goes out and begins to do drugs, tell me that doesn't affect anyone else. The very smallest choices we make in disobedience affect those around us. The bigger the choice, then the bigger the consequences in this, in this realm. But what does it mean for us to choose life? So we're, we're looking at a bunch of different things. Because we said, Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. What does that mean? He wants to steal your identity. He wants to steal your value, your worth, your security. He wants to steal all of those, those things from you. And he'll use anything. He doesn't care. See, that's about Satan, man. He's, he's an equal opportunity offender. He will use anything at his disposal to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I've come to give you life. So that we would know that we have security we have significance, we have value, we have identity, and every one of those are found in Zoe, eternal life through Jesus Christ. So nothing around me affects it if I don't let it, right? I mean, that's something we talk about all the time. Some of us are uh, doing OSL right now. We've been reading through Romans. It's one of the things Romans 8, 1 says. We, We quote the first verse, There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, but we don't always finish the rest of that verse. It says, There is no condemnation Those are in Jesus Christ, who do not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. So guess what? If you're a believer, yeah, you're saved, you're going to heaven. But if you're walking in the flesh, guess what? You're going to find condemnation, shame, guilt. They're all going to live there. But when we walk in the Spirit, what has already happened, what's been transformed, what's been redeemed, guess what? No guilt, no condemnation, no shame. Because in Christ, I'm holy, I'm righteous, I'm perfect. So last, the last two weeks, um, we talked about how we have created in our world a culture of death. You know, Jesus said, I've come to give you life. God says, I give you a choice, life and death. We, by and large, as a world, not just as a nation, as a world, have chose death. And we talked specifically about the culture of death dealing with abortion. 57 million babies have been aborted in America since Roe versus Wade in 1973. 57 million. All of you that are under 30 years old, one third of your generation is missing. Gone. Worldwide, 1.2 billion have been aborted since 1980. We have created a culture of death. Satan has used this as his number one tool for bringing death, stealing, killing, and destroying. Understand, it's not just the baby. I mean, he's taking all these babies, but how it affects the woman and the man. The woman has to then deal with the pain, the shame, the the sacrificing her own child's life. The man, whether it was a passive thing and just letting it happen or paying for it or whatever, there are at least 40 million women and 40 million men in our nation who are post-abortive. And I look at that and I say, what an army waiting to be healed, delivered, set free, and become an unstoppable force for the kingdom of God. Because let me tell you what, lots of them are sitting in our churches. And it's something we don't talk about. My wife was sharing last year, there's a, or last week, there's a, a man, he's a pastor called Will Ford, he says abortion is the fig leaf of the church. We don't talk about it. Yet the statistics show that over 50% of women that have abortions in America have a church affiliation. One third of them say they're born-again believers. They're not out there. They're in here. And the problem is, we don't talk about it. We don't create a culture where there can be healing, where there can be wholeness, where there can be forgiveness, where people can talk about whatever it is that is their struggle. Show up on Sunday, put on your happy face, and everybody be good. But no, we need to be a place where people are set free. It's the fundamental verse that we see is why we're called revolution. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to set the captive free, to give sight to the blind. Because what? The year of the Lord's favor is upon us. That this is how we're supposed to walk, not just here, but everywhere. And So we talked about that. Today, we're going to start talking about sex. You go, well, I don't hear that word a lot in church. Well, I want you to get comfortable with it. Sex, 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 sex! We're going to talk about sex. Did you know sex is important? It is. Sex is not evil. Although I'm not sure if the Puritans would have agreed with that statement. I think they actually maybe thought it was. But God created it, and He wants us to have sex. He just has a very clear picture of what that is to look like. And what it's not to look like. But do you realize that this has implications in every area of your life? Well, number one, you wouldn't be here without sex. Now, we do understand there are other biological means by which people, I have some good friends, they conceive through uh, um, in vitro, and, you know, So I get that. But still, basically speaking, without sex, most people would not be here. How would advertisers sell their products? I mean, seriously. I, I mean... You know, it can be the most inane object, you know, carpet, you know, what does that got to do with it? But they'll have somebody up there, and it's sex that sells, right? It's the number one tool that advertising uses. But our views and understanding on sex affect our self-worth, our identity, and our values. Um, Two years ago, almost the same exact time, Harvard... I guess it was some students, but, but the administration backed it up that they decided to have sex week. And, you know, we were just kind of like, excuse me, what? And, and if you had seen what some of the workshops were, I know they did it last year. I don't know if it's going on this year or not. I haven't heard. But but two years ago, it was the first year they did it. Yeah, I can't even, I can't even say what some of the workshops were. But in the midst of that, the chaplain's office, excuse me, decided to do a uh, conversation on sexuality and faith. So they asked myself and one other person to be the presenters. Like, what did, how did our um, faith uh, perspective view sexuality? So I was like, okay, Lord. I mean, I knew that basically everybody in the room was going to be disagreeing with me. I knew that, you know, I was kind of stepping into a potentially really crazy place. I just said, Lord, I need, I need something really clear. I need a very clear outline of you know, what does this look like from the Word. And, and I really believe God did. And I'm going to actually share, in the context of today, these three purposes. I believe God made it very clear that there are three purposes for sex. And you go, oh, okay, well, I haven't heard this one lately. Now, as evangelical believers, we believe that this, the Word of God, is the inspired, inerrant Word of God. What it says is true, period. We don't get to discuss it. We can talk about it, but God determined it. And so we live according to it or we don't. That's our choice. But we believe that this is how we're called to live our lives. So looking at Scripture, we see that God created and designed sex. And because of that, it's sacred. Did you know that? I don't know you ever hear that as one of the sacraments, right? <laughs> the sacrament of sex. I don't know that I'd make it one of the sacraments, but it is sacred. Why? Because God created it. And if God created anything, it's sacred. Now, I believe that, you know, some people get really out to lunch when it comes to environmentalism. But do you know that really we should be environmentalists from a biblical sense? Why? Because God created it, therefore it is sacred. If you let her, stop. If you're wasteful, stop! It's unbiblical. He called us to have dominion over everything. He didn't ever take that back. Guess what? Mankind still has dominion over this world. That's why a lot of times we do stupid things and screw things up. God didn't take it back. Not when Adam and Eve sinned. So, yeah, can we take that to crazy places? Of course. But sometimes, even as Christians, we're like, Oh, it doesn't matter. We're throwing trash on the ground. No! No, no, no. Everything that God creates is sacred. I would venture to say that, you know, even as John does, what he does in looking at stars is that the more you look, the more you go, you see the awesomeness of God, right? Because what he creates is awesome. And sex, I can say, is awesome. So what are the three purposes of sex? Well, the first one, is it is a spiritual union. It says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother, and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Now, have you ever seen any couples walking around like Siamese twins? You know, where, oh, they must have just got married, man. You know, it's like, well they're welded together. No, it's not talking about some physical thing. I mean, that would be really awkward, wouldn't it? And be like, oh, man, I thought this marriage thing was supposed to be good. This is crazy. So it's obviously not a physical union, but it's a spiritual one. In Genesis 1, it says, God together, the plurality of God, one God, three persons, God the Father, the God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. We believe that he obviously, I mean, just look around the people in this room. I mean, we don't look alike, right? I mean, you can be born from the same parents, and not like my youngest sister, we have the same biological parents, but if she was standing here right now, you would go, are you sure? She's short, stocky-built, blonde hair, blue eyes, as white complexed as you could possibly be, and we look nothing alike, but we have the same parents. But understand that her and I, just as you and I, were created in the image of God and in His likeness. So, we're talking about God is what? God is a spirit, right? So, He made us a spirit. This is a really important part. In fact, we're just, if, for those that are in the OSL, you've probably listened to this already or you will hear it when Pastor Jerry is talking about this. Is that sometimes we say that we're a body, soul, and spirit. But that's, that's wrong. Number one, that's not how Scripture says it, that's not how Jesus said it. But it's not right even theologically. Because how long is your body going to last? We don't know, but not. Uh, I can guarantee not one of us, well, maybe Dustin, but the rest of us in a hundred years will not be here, right? If the Lord tarries and doesn't come back in a hundred years, I mean, you'll be setting some records if you are, right? But you're not going to be here. How long will your mind be here? Well, as long as your body's here, right? <laughs> but your spirit will live forever. That... God has designed us as a spirit who have a mind and live in a body. So understand that that's who we are. So it's important that we understand that first purpose of sex is it's a spiritual union. You just walked in, you hear me talking about sex. We're talking about sex today. (laughs) (laughs) Nice to see you. But see, God designed sex to be a picture of the intimacy that he desires between man and himself. Now, not in a sexual connotation, because then we go, oh, that's... Good. No, not, not... See, sometimes we twist that, but the purpose is intimacy. See, one of the problems in our culture is we've made sex a physical act. It was never meant to be. It was meant to be the ultimate place of intimacy, between a man and a woman, to give the idea of the understanding of how much God intimately loves us, cares for us, and wants to be in a relationship with us. Turn with me to First Corinthians chapter six. 1 Corinthians chapter six. We're talking the theme of what we're uh, of the sermon right now is choose life, and. Um, just to let you all know that, um, specifically coming out of Deuteronomy 30, where God says, "You know, I put before you life and death, uh, blessing and cursing. Choose life for you and your descendants." In John 10:10, where Jesus said, "I've come to give you life, and life more abundantly." And Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy. So we've been talking about that, and today we're stepping into talking about, um, you know, God's view of sexuality and how that affects. How we see ourselves and others. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 12. Paul writing says, All things are lawful for me, but, not all thing, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up, By his power. Verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. See, fundamentally, we believe that the body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. It says that God doesn't any longer dwell in buildings. And again, we believe, yeah, the presence of the Lord is here with us. Wherever two or more are gathered, there am I in the midst. We understand that. But now, everywhere that you go, you bring the presence of God with you. It used to be only in where the Holy of Holies was in the temple. And and only once a year could the high priest go in there. But it says, now because of what Christ's death and resurrection, we can boldly enter into the throne of grace, where before you would have been slain. If you just roll, even in an earthly kingdom, if you just showed up before the king, unless the king reached out and gave you his blessing, it was off with your head. But how much more the king of kings. But it says now, because of the blood of Christ, we can come boldly into to the throne of grace. Because we now possess the Spirit of God. I've talked about this before, but, but you know, it's, it's radical when we understand it. It says, the the Spirit now lives within you, the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Now, I don't know about you, but you know our, our humanity has done some pretty amazing things. I mean, I think it's amazing that we can go to space, that we can send a spatial up there and bring it back and land it. I mean, that's amazing. All these things are amazing, but guess what? God is the only one that can bring life back to someone who's been dead. Now, man keeps trying... You know, and they've done it with a spider, you know, they freeze them. and You know, cryogenics is all based, I did a paper when I was in seminary on cryogenics and, you know, freezing people. And, you know, what's always so interesting is that it's a lot cheaper to freeze the head, so people just freeze the head because they figure, I mean, if they could ever actually bring them back to life, then I guess they can recreate the whole body, you know. It's like, okay, sure, why not, right? But the reality is God's the only one that can give life. He's the only one. And it says, that power lives in you and me. So get this. When you step into any place, you should be stepping as one that has the very power of God that raised Jesus from the dead living in you. You should change the atmosphere in the room when you walk in. Because of you? No, but because of the power of God in you. People should take notice, man. It's kind of like when you walk into the room, everybody should look up and go, Whoa, what just happened? Why? Because it says, Jesus says, All power and authority has been given to me, and I give it to you, the church. You have all power and authority. God, who's omnipotent, created the world. He says, I give you the power. You're like, Whoa, that's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, one that God would actually trust us with that. Are you serious? I mean, that's some serious power, right? I am not going to let my kid have a stun gun, you know? Okay, Royce, there you go. It's just 80,000 volts. It only hurts a little bit. Because what's he going to do? He's probably going to hit himself with it. He's going to walk up and say, hey, John, check this out, you know? Because that's way too much power for a five-year-old to have. Well, I would look at God and say, God, you're crazy. This is way too much power for us to have, but it gives Because he didn't just give you the power. He says, I give you the authority. Do you understand the difference? I can put on a police uniform. And people may look at it and say, hey, you're a cop. But guess what? I got no authority. I can go out there and I might convince people that I'm a police officer. But guess what? If they check, I'm in serious trouble. Because I don't have the authority. And see, this is what Jesus says. He says, away to me. Away from me because I, and and they go, Lord, 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 we cast out demons in your name. We prophesied in your name. We healed in your name. He goes, away from me because I never knew you. You're going, whoa, whoa, whoa. They had the power, but they didn't have the authority. That's why the centurion said, no, no, I'm a man of authority, a man under authority. He got it. If we're not in submission to God's authority, then you can't walk in authority. There are no mavericks in the kingdom of God. Well, there's a lot of mavericks, but I would question whether they're actually in the kingdom of God or they're serving their own kingdom. I wasn't actually planning on going there, but this is good. You know, coming back to this, all of my life, I need to tell you a little of my story. Um, most of you know, but um, I didn't get married until I was 45. Um, and I was pastoring a- as a single man. I was a college pastor for five and a half years. I pastored as a senior pastor for five and a half years, planted the church as a single man, um, never was married, and I never had sex. You go, well, that's not possible. Well, let me tell you, it's not easy, but it is possible. So when I talk to people about being abstinent from sex and singleness, understand, I got some street cred, okay? I had a guy when I was about 34, he came to me one day and he said, he says, Chris, I want to talk to you. I'm like, okay. He says, well, I, I, I want to know, when did you know that you had the uh, gift of celibacy? I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. What, just because I'm single? I said, no, no, God's made me promises. Trust me, bro. I am not going to be single for my whole life. Thank the Lord his word is true. But one of the things I've heard people say over and over and over again, that no one ever forgets the first person they have sex with. And I don't care if that happens when you're 15 or if it happens when you're 50. It doesn't matter. And you go, have you ever wondered why? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because of this, that God designed sex to be a spiritual union. The two will become one flesh. It doesn't matter whether we do it the right way. It's true. Now, some of you are going, oh, man. I've, I've screwed up. No, thank you, Lord, that there's grace. But I will tell you something, and we're going to talk about this, because we're going to break this whole thing down over the next number of weeks. But one of the things that happens is you create a soul tie. That spiritual union becomes a soul tie, and it has to be broken. And let me tell you what, if, if you, you know, had sex before you were married, or maybe you're still not married and you had sex, you know, we get it. It happens, okay? God's grace and forgiveness is there. But let me tell you that those spiritual ties got to be broken. Why? Because God designed it that the two would be... Quiet. Look, what did Paul just say in 1 Corinthians? I mean, shall the members of Christ become one with a harlot? There is no such thing as just a physical act of sex. It's not, it, there is no such thing. That's a lie of our culture. Men have been propagating this lie for a long time. I mean, let's be honest. Men are like, yeah, if they believe it, then you know, we can just have sex. It's just, hey, it's just you know, sex. We even have movies now. You know, friends with benefits, no strings attached. There's no such thing. There is no such thing. But see, here's the problem, that women have now bought into the lie. And women are now saying, ah, hey, I can be just like a man. Yeah, booty call, yeah, no problem, man, it's just just sex. They may say that, but it's not true. It's not true. There is no such thing. So again, we're going to talk about that. If you, you know, if you had sex before marriage, outside of marriage, there's grace and forgiveness in Christ, but those soul ties got to be broken. So what are we going to talk about? This is still still under point one. I'm going to quickly get to point two and three of what the Bible tells us the purposes of sex are. Number one is a spiritual union. But we're going to break this down over the next couple of weeks. We're going to talk about fornication. Not a word we use a lot in our culture anymore. What does it mean? It means sex outside of marriage. To those who aren't married, if you have sex outside of marriage and you're married, it's adultery. We don't use that word either. It makes me think of something that... uh, uh, Julio, you'll, you'll find this humorous because you understand Spanish, but I'll explain the rest of it. There was a lady, she was a, a missionary in Ecuador, and she was just learning Spanish. Didn't speak Spanish very well. And, and so she gets up there, and they asked her to pray over the offering. So, you know, it's like, vamos um, orar, but she gets up and she says, vamos <laughs> ornar, which means let us all pee. You know, so not good. But then she goes, So she gets flustered and she calls, she goes, um, I don't remember what was the phrase, but she wanted to call the adults forward, you know, to take up the offering, but she called the adulteros, which would be all the adulterers come forward, you know. So be careful when you don't really know the language, you could get yourself in trouble. But we're going to talk about fornication. I mean, is God okay with sex outside of marriage? What are soul ties and how do we break them? What about pornography? I mean, you know, it used to be pornography was something that was, um, it was harder to get. Like, even in stores that sold it, usually it was kept behind the counter and all that stuff. So, I mean, you had to kind of work it. But now, because of the Internet, it's accessible 24-7 to people. It is a, I don't even know, hundreds of billions of dollar business in our world. And it's as big a problem in the church as it is outside the church. I've told you all before, there was a time in my life I was addicted to pornography, Jesus set me free. Thank you, Lord. I didn't ever think I could be free. But He set me free. Free! Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Is God okay with premarital sex? There's a lot of young people who think so. I told you a study that came out of Christian Mingle. It's a Christian online uh, dating service. They did an anonymous survey asking all of the people, self-proclaimed born-again believers. 90% of them said it was okay to have sex before marriage. Another 4% said, well, if you're engaged, it's okay. By the time it was said and done, almost 95% of them said it was okay to have sex outside of marriage. You're like, we got a problem. What's God say about that? Here's another question. How do you remain pure if you're single? It's one thing to say, yeah, I get it, but it's hard to do it. What about living together? I mean, people say, you know, I mean, hey, you know, you, 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 know, you got to try out the merchandise, you know, just to make sure it's a good fit, right? No. No, God didn't design it that way. God designed it that when you would come together, there would never be a comparison. There would never be another. See, if there is no other, then you don't have anything else to base it on. It's awesome, right? What becomes a problem is because we have other things that we brought into the picture. What about homosexuality? We're going to talk about homosexuality. How does God view homosexuality? Is it a behavior or an identity? Does God hate gay people? Is it possible to be Christian and gay? We're going to talk about all these things because this is part of our culture and this is where the church doesn't have a good answer most of the time. Pastors backtrack on this, don't want to say anything But let's be honest about what the Word of God says. Let's know what it means to choose life so we can help other people understand what it means to choose life. Because God is really clear. I used to have this friend, uh, I mean, he's still a friend, but he used to do t shirts. And I remember he did this one t shirt. It had the Ten Commandments, and kind of emblazoned over the top, it says, God has not changed his mind. Understand that God's Word is still true. What about marriage and divorce? Can someone get divorced and remarried? What about birth control? We don't really talk about that much in the church. What about that? What about infertility and fertility treatments? I've mentioned, I have friends. That's how they, their children were born. But what is that, what does it talk about when God's the creator? Where is the point where we step into God's place? What about euthanasia? Where we decide that we get to determine when someone dies, when someone lives. We believe that because sex is a spiritual union, it makes sex sacred. Something that was created and is to honor God. What's the second purpose? Well, I kind of just alluded to it. It's a biological act for reproduction. God allows us to partner with Him to create life. That's remarkable. That's amazing. I mean, you know... now we have the technology, if you've never seen it, going, look, we used to have one on our website. It was a, a video that, where they actually can watch it literally from inception, fertilization, all the way along as the baby is, is you know, just becoming who they will be. It's remarkable. No one probably ever imagined we'd have the technology to actually be able to see that. But when you see it, how can you look and say, no, that's not a baby. No, no, no. We talked about this the other week. Embryologists. Every one of them will tell you that life begins at fertilization. Not in implantation, but at fertilization. Genesis 1, 27. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. <laughs> My uh, youngest sister, she's five years younger than me. She has six kids. And I remember when they were first getting married, they were young. And they just said, you know, we're, we're just going to trust God. And, you know, if He wants us to get pregnant. And I, and I took them to Genesis 1. I said, well, you know God said, be fruitful and multiply. So... You leave it in God's hands, and I'm not saying you shouldn't, because actually I do believe you should. But you're gonna you're gonna have babies, and you know they have six babies, but um, they're grown. Actually, now they have two great grand or grandkids as well. Another reason we believe sex is sacred is because life is sacred. God allows us to partner with Him to create life. Psalm 139. I love this whole chapter, but in verse 14 says, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. We believe life is sacred because God gives life. And He chose to use sex as the method of reproducing life. You know, God could have created any way. I mean, seriously, God could have, you know, just, you know, said, you guys, you know, give me a high five. There you go. I mean, God could have done it any way that he chose, but he created on purpose sex as a way of reproducing life. So, again, what does that mean when we start trying to create life apart from God? Test two babies and vitro fertilization. We're gonna talk about that. It goes into a lot of areas. You know, what are what are the biblical ethics of all these different areas? And then the third area that or purpose rather that God shows us that sex has is it's a physical pleasure created by God to enjoy within the sanctity of marriage. God was the one that came up with the idea of sex. And guess what? He knew that it would be pleasurable. That didn't surprise him. He's like, whoa, I didn't see that one coming. No, no, God actually created it with that purpose. But understand, it's the third purpose is not the first one. See, our culture has flipped it. Our culture has made sex, the number one thing is about pleasure. It's about hedonism. It's about me. Me getting what I want. See, God could have made it just a perfunctory duty to reproduce life. He could have made it, you know, I mean, you know, oftentimes it's interesting how you picture aliens, you know, that that oftentimes that's the way it is for them. I mean, in most alien movies, it's like there's some kind of egg or there's something, you know. I mean, there, there's not a pleasure attached to it. It's just, it's a perfunctory task. You do what you do, like for most animals. I mean, you think about it. I mean, animals are in heat, man, and they just like... Gotta do it. There's no pleasure. There's no, you know, thought process that goes into it. It's this animal instinct. He could have made us just the exact same way. Now, some people think that we are animals, and guess what? They act like animals. It's the reason that we have people doing a lot of the things they're doing, because they are convinced they're just an animal. So why not act like one, right? I couldn't believe it. This week, this week in Massachusetts, Sometimes this state still just uh, surprises me. There's a judge that ruled. Do you guys actually even know what the terminology of like upskirt videoing is? It's some pervert that actually decides that he goes around and he might have it hidden in his shoe or whatever and looking up women's skirts and videotaping them. A judge ruled that it's okay. It is not an invasion of their privacy. You're like, what? Are you kidding me? How is that not an invasion of my property? But this is how twisted our culture has gotten. I mean, you know, it makes me wonder, you know what kind of person is this judge? That's what makes me wonder. I mean, how are they living their life, right? Everything that God created, this is, this is so huge. We talk about this in uh, OSL. Everything that God created is for our pleasure. Did you hear me? I mean, do you, do you think God needed? You know, it's like, you know, I'll, I'll make the the trees bloom in spring, and man, that I'm not saying that God doesn't think that's nice, but God is perfect, you know. I mean, God has all power, so He created all this stuff for us. I mean, why do you look at a sunset and you know the colors and you just go, wow, it's so amazing. I mean, you you know, if you just throw those colors on a wall, you kind of go, that's that what is it, right? But God puts them in the sky and you go, Wow. Everything in creation is for our pleasure, including sex. See, because think about this. Did God have to give us senses? I mean, do, do we need to be able to smell, taste, feel, hear? What's the, what's the one I'm missing? I said see. Yeah, see, touch. I don't know. Whatever. Taste. I don't know. what. I, but anyway, we all know that there are five senses. But I mean, do you need the five senses to survive? Well, of course not, because somewhere there's lots of people surviving without every one of those. Very well, thank you. Right? I mean, it doesn't mean that they're not challenges, but you can survive very well. Most of you will know I have virtually no sense of smell. I've lost it over the years. I had it up until my late 20s, and it just started to dissipate, and now I, I have virtually no sense of smell. And people ask me, well, doesn't that affect you? I say, well, I suppose it does. I mean, I don't really know because it, didn't, it wasn't like one day it was there and one day it was gone. I still taste I probably don't taste as well, but a lot of my taste is probably connected to memories. But I think I live a fine life. I don't think I actually have a less than life. I'm fine. So did we need to have senses? No. God could have made us just again without anything. Why, though? He gave us all those that we would know pleasure. Because that's the problem. When you, don't, when you lack one of those senses it affects your ability to have pleasure in that area. Do I still have pleasure when I eat? Yeah, but probably not the same as people who who smell really well. I mean, do people that can't see still enjoy life and have a great? Yeah, but are there some things that they can't have the same level of pleasure because they can't see? Yes. So understand, everything that God did was that we would know pleasure. Think about it. God designed sex to be a pleasurable experience because there's nothing else that gets compared to like it does. I mean, think about it. Somebody has this dessert and says, Oh! You even see it in advertising. Oh! You know, they're even almost sounding like it's sex, right? All the time, the, the culture compares things to this pleasure because it's a pleasure unlike others. God designed it that way. In fact, Did you know he dedicated an entire book in the Holy Scriptures, inspired Word of God, to sex? Song of Solomon. I mean, it's not all hyperbole. It's not all just, well, it is poetry, but guess what? It's poetry about sex. Listen to a couple verses. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 12. While the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. My lover is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. My lover is to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of Engedi That's like, whoa. How about chapter 2, verse 3? Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my lover among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. You're like, whoa, this is exaggerated stuff. That's the Holy Scriptures. God created sex to bring pleasure. But notice it is number three on the list. It's not number one. First and foremost, it is a spiritual union. is what makes it sacred. The two will become one. There's a spiritual dynamic that we would begin to have a deeper understanding of the intimacy that God desires with us. It's not a physical act. God doesn't love us because He has to. He loves us because He wants to. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to know you. He wants us to know Him. I mean, that's the terminology they used to use if you read like King James. You know, like when a couple would get married and said, Abraham knew Sarah. It wasn't like he just met her. No, it was time, but they had sex. They became one flesh. Our culture has elevated sexual pleasure to the ultimate goal, but without true intimacy Sex is debased to a physical act. That's all it becomes. See, our culture would tell us that we're old-fashioned because we actually believe what God says is true. I mean that that sex is only supposed to be in the confines of a marriage between a man and a woman. Oh my goodness, how old-fashioned! I mean, come on, That was written a long time ago. you know, come into the 21st century. Well, guess what? God, as I've said many times doesn't live in time and space. So he is not he does not use time and space to determine how he changes because God says he never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever, Hebrews 13:8. He doesn't change, we do. And we change oftentimes with the time or with the times. We allow the culture to determine what we believe, how we believe things. But you know what's interesting? Actual studies show that God is probably smarter than we think He is. In 2010, there was a study It was done by a professor at Brigham Young University in 2010. It involved 2,035 married participants doing an online assessment of marriage called Relate. And this is what they found. They found that those who wait until marriage to have sex are happier with the quality of sex than couples who have had intercourse before their vows. These are some of the things they found that those that waited until marriage to have sex rated sexual quality 15% higher than people who had had premarital sex. They rated the relationship stability as 22% higher. They rated satisfaction with their relationship 20% higher. And you go, oh, interesting. Our culture could be wrong. And of those that they studied... 21% were Catholic, 39% Protestant, 6% were Mormon, 17% of another religion, and 17% who indicated no religious affiliation. In 2012, Cornell University did a similar study with 600 women under 45 and found the same results. Is it possible that God may know a little more than we think He does? See, God doesn't adjust His thinking to our culture. He asks us to adjust our thinking to His culture. Because guess what? He says, we're no longer of this world, right? When we become saved, when Jesus becomes our Savior, says, now we're of a different world. We weren't made for this world. We're aliens in this land. We're called to live according to a different rule. Jesus says what? I bring a government on my shoulders. He doesn't care if you're Republican, Democrat, or Independent. He says, you now serve a different king. You have a, you're under a different kingdom. See, because when you're in a kingdom, here's the biggest problem with Americans, and I'm an American so I can say this, is that we worship individuality. We worship our rights. Guess what? In the kingdom of God, you got no rights. You gave them all up. You said, no, I'm not a slave any longer to sin. I'm a slave to righteousness. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. It's not what I want, but what He wants. I don't live according to my plans, my hopes, and my desires. I live according to His. You go, well, that's a really hard message. Well, yeah. Jesus never said it was easy. I always tell people, you you want the easy road? Well, then just go do whatever you want. Serve yourself. That takes absolutely no, there's no tension. If I'm just going to serve me, where's the problem? Being selfish is the easiest thing in the world. Now, it doesn't always end up well, I can promise you that. See, we believe that while God created and designed sex to bring pleasure, it was never something that was meant to be compared between partners because this brings insecurity and doubt about your sexual prowess because sex is meant to be enjoyed between a man and woman who have chosen to abstain from instant gratification in order to enjoy the true pleasure in the safety of marriage. Again, if, that, if, if that's not where you are and you've made some choices, there's no guilt. Understand, man, at the foot of the cross, there's total forgiveness and healing and wholeness. Now, if you're living like that right now, stop. Because as Paul says, understand that sexual immorality is unlike any other sin because it's against your own body, which is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's the house of God. It's not your house anymore. You go, wait a minute. It's mine. No, you gave up all rights. You said it's not mine. I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment. Yeah, we're going to... We're getting into some stuff that, again, a lot of times, we as the church, we don't like to wade into, um, and I'm not saying I like to, but I'm saying we need to, because this is the stuff that our culture is talking about, and a lot of times, we don't have a right answer because we don't know what the Word of God says. Well, this is what I think. Well, you know what? Nobody needs to know what you think. They don't need to know what I think. They need to know what God thinks. Do we do that in a high-handed way? No. We do that humbly. We do that And as a servant, but we got to do it boldly. Are some people not going to like you? Well, yeah, there will be some people who won't like you. Well, they said some bad things about you, probably. They did about Jesus, and Jesus said, guess what? They're going to hate you because they hate me. They persecuted me, so they're going to persecute you. Do we pray for that? No. (laughs) I don't like to have people not like me. But Jesus says if we stand up for Him, if we do strive to live our life in truth, but filled with love through the power of the Holy Spirit, some people are not going to like that. So, Lord Jesus, I pray for us. Lord, these are really important things. A lot of times we don't talk about them because maybe we're afraid, we're not sure how people will take it. But, Lord, we we want to do it with the utmost care, that every person would know just how much you love them and how much you care for them. But Lord, we don't want we're not going to pull away from the truth of your word. Lord, even when that's unpalatable, even when it's not culturally sensitive, when it's not politically correct, because Lord, we're yours. And we've said that we now are part of your kingdom. We don't serve our own kingdom. We don't serve the kingdom of darkness any lo- longer. We serve the kingdom of light. So God, give us strength. Give us grace. May we dig into your word, Lord. I don't want people to just hear me and say that I believe this because that's what Pastor Chris said. I want us to get in the word, know the word. Struggle with these things so that we come out on the other side knowing what you say about things and be able to articulate that, not to win arguments, but to win people. Lord, that people would know and hear the heart of God. That, Lord, you create boundaries and parameters because you know more than we do. You love us more than we love ourselves. You have a plan for our life that supersedes anything we could have for our own. So, Lord, that's what we pray. That we'd walk according to your plan. We'd walk according to the Spirit. That we would not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. We pray that in your name, Jesus. Amen.